Welcome into another edition of the Dane and Victory podcast, only available on musketeerreport.com. I am Rick, and for this edition of the podcast, I am joined by the legend, Brian Snow, and you all know Dan. Um, Dan, we haven't talked to you for a while, and I just want to start this podcast on a bit of a somber note. One oh, of yeah. uh, the, the favorite guests of the podcast, some, uh, I don't know if it's someone, but some bean that a lot of our uh, listeners grew to really appreciate and love over the last few years. Tino, your uh, very, very strange and haunting cat has passed away and will no longer be heard from uh, on this show. So very sad. This, this is true. Uh, it was very sad. Um, I think I, I think the only two animals that have really featured on the podcast are is Tino and Snow's dog, I think was – going nuts in one uh one episode yeah larkin wasn't happy one time so um oh by the way well, just apropos of that if if you get a chance the barry larkin's old house in uh amberley is up uh on is up for sale right now and it, it looks like no one has changed it since like 1993 and it is amazing dan um anyway too but, soon it's tino's memorial service tino's right dan. now and you're just switching to barry He's larkin's on, house well, R.I.P. in peace, but he's also, peace, Tino. He's, he's also on my nerves today because he was the only one of our cats that was worth a damn as a mouser, and of course we have a mouse in the house. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't mean to get so off track to start the podcast, but the blind cat who couldn't figure out how to get up the stairs and moaned until one of you came down and picked him up and let him up the steps was the best at chasing mice? Absolutely. He was a stone-cold killer. He was like uh, two Makes Holloway sense. on the basketball court. Didn't All matter right. how banged up he was. R.I.P. Get the job done. R.I.P. in peace, Tino, the two Holloway of cats. Uh, gone well before his time. Or maybe Although, actually well actually, after his time. Actually, if we're talking talent. about his size, his size, he would probably be more of a Western Michigan era Matt Stanbrook. But, um, <laughs> a T.J. Johnson in his heyday. That, that's a better one, yeah. There we go. With All the right. big T-shirt under the jersey, yeah. Well, uh, before we waste any more of our listeners' valuable time, let's jump right into it. And I think one of the things that I wanted to get your guys' opinion on, and I, I'm sure you guys wanted to give me your thoughts on, was the Xavier draft that I posted on the website last week. Uh, I did it with Shannon Russell and Andy McWilliams. We went to Dana's. We sat down. The rules were started in the Prosser era, so mid-'90s um, to current day, draft any musketeer a uh, former musketeer and it was a snake style draft i had first pick shannon had second andy had third uh the teams are posted it's all free content at musketeerreport.com so if you don't know what we're talking about you can go check it out there but guys go ahead i'll open it up to you critique it uh ask whatever questions you want what were your thoughts when you saw the teams give me the, the initial takes my initial take rick is is your team you've clearly got the best team yeah, yeah, I don't think that's in question. Um, my second thought is, how much did Andy drink before the draft? A half of a yingling. We, we, so we were supposed to chug a beer to see who the, the drafting order. And, I mean, my beer came down before I even finished it, and I still won by, I don't know, a minute and a half. So it was not good. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at – no disrespect to the legend that is Andy Mack. Like Romain Sato ahead of Trayvon Blewett, Jordan, James Posey. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, the, the him going Sato and Makira, which I think there's a case to be made for Sato. Um, everyone here loves J.P. Makira, and in terms of personalities I've covered, he's maybe at the top. He might go number one overall. But it it, uh, it, it really set me up when that happened because at that point I knew I was going to get two of Blew it, Crawford and Posey, which I had in my top five. Yeah, I mean David West is one that goes without saying. Yeah, I would put Jordan Craw Jordan Crawford would have been my second pick. Talent wise, I, I agree. To um, win college basketball games, though, I would accept the argument the, that Trayvon Blewett is better. What was the what 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 were you drafting for? Like, was it was it? Was there anything said like we're trying to build a program where I want yeah. to win a one-game series against the other two teams? What what was sort of the concept? Yeah, it because was like Rick, if your we were, team definitely has the most like dudes that played in the NBA or had NBA talent. 
Yeah, I think the concept was if we were going to play like pickup games like a, a round robin tournament right now, try to come up with the best team. So you wanted a team that made sense, not just all guards or something, um, and not all guys that couldn't play on the court together. There was some thought going into that, but at the same time, like at the same time, we weren't drafting off of who had the best college stats. So Jordan Crawford was valued. You know. The one thing that I will say about Andy's team, uh, to, to give him some credit, is that every single one of these guys, with the exception of Lionel Chalmers, who, and I, I think the only reason he didn't play four years was because he had to sit out his freshman year. Uh, all of these are four-year guys at Xavier, right? Nobody Lionel, left early. Lionel played his fifth year. He okay. got out, redshirted, and was a fifth-year senior. So all these guys were, were four-year players at Xavier, almost all of them multi-year starters. This is sort of like like I look at these and I'm like, these are the solid program guys that were kind of the glue of the program over the years. Um, it's a lot of guys who are like the second-best guy on their team. Um, and so, I mean, I, 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 can, I can defend that to a certain extent. As a fan, one of the things that you like about those guys is that they stick around for a while. You get used to watching them play. So, uh, so I'll defend him a little bit on that, but although I do think that you and Shannon's teams are, uh, are better. Yeah, I don't think Andy's draft was really bad after the first, you know, the, the, two, the first two picks are really what kind of takes him off track because he just lacks the, the star power that Shannon and I have at the top. After that, right. I mean, it gets interesting, you know, when you start talking two through whatever else. I think the the biggest value pick that I see here is you getting James Posey seventh. I mean, talking about a dude that played in the NBA for 15 years and won multiple NBA titles, was a key player on a couple NBA championship teams, and uh, was a terrific player at Xavier. I know the teams he played on weren't that great. It wasn't the high ebb of or the high tide of Xavier basketball, but uh, – but, yeah, I think when you add Posey to Crawford and West, that's really solid. And at that point, you're just looking to find somebody who can get on the ball and then Drew Lavender drops into your lap. So, Where, I, do, you slot, where do you slot Posey if you're, like, sort of positioning all these guys on a, on a hot board, for instance? Me? I would put him number three. I was going to say two. Well, well, maybe go, th- two or three. I would go West, Crawford, Posey, Blewett. Uh, Holloway that'd be my top five yeah I like that yeah I I think I mean like I think there's sort of six players in the argument and it's West Blewett Sato Crawford Holloway Posey in whatever order you want to do that I think West is the obvious number one Um, and then two I can I can listen to multiple arguments on two I think Crawford is the most talented but if you want to make the argument that he was sometimes a little singularly focused on his own statistics and uh, didn't always contribute to the team winning as much as he could have. I could go with Trayvon Blewett um, or a James Posey at number two. I, I would have no problem with that. The two guys that I thought were maybe underdrafted here, um, one was Samaje, uh, who didn't go till the, the second last round. I mean, again, a guy that didn't play for great Xavier teams, but obviously had, I mean, he was a, what, a top 60 recruit coming out of high school, uh, was one of the best players in the Atlantic 10 his freshman year. Uh, really good sophomore year. So, and, and he played, I mean, he didn't, he didn't stick around the NBA for a long time, but he got his chance with Oklahoma City, right? Uh, and was making Thanks. a nice living. Russell Westbrook season triple-double. Exactly. And uh, the other one that I would say, I, I would say is a little undervalued is Justin Dolman. I mean, the dude essentially was one of the best players in Europe for over a decade um, and was a really good college player as well. And, and he fell, what, would he have been the 9, 10, 11, 12, like the 12th pick? I'd have probably taken Dolman over like a Derek Brown, Stanley Burrell, maybe even Darnell. I, I would, uh, I mean, Justin Cage. Yeah, I was shocked that JP, that Darnell, and that Justin Cage all went ahead of Justin Dolman. Those are the three guys okay. I went ahead below him. Burrell were on the back end of the snake right after Dolman. Oh, Burrell okay. too, yeah. You're right, you're right. Um, for me, Lenny Brown, I mean, that dude scored, what, 1,800 points? Yeah. Made big shots, defended four-year starter. Uh, I was surprised he lasted that long. Lionel lasting as long as he did was criminal. And then Dolman, uh, he, his senior year, he might have been the best power forward in college basketball at the end. Like, teams could not deal with him. Now, he had a rough junior when he couldn't – like, I think he really went through a stretch. 
I remember asking Sean Miller in a press conference once, I said, how do you get Justin Dolman right? And he kind of looked at me and said, I have no idea. But yeah. his senior year, he was, he was a unbelievable. Problem. I think that's yeah. the, the strongest position group too is the, the forward spot. I mean, when you start looking at those names, especially, I mean, we didn't take one of them in Josh Duncan, but uh, we could talk some about him. But I think like Posey, Dolman, Derek Brown, um, Duncan, McLean, you're not even getting to guys like Travis Taylor, C.J. Anderson, names yeah, like is that. Duncan the biggest omission here? That was the name I heard the most about from fans. I, I Duncan? could say Duncan, Najee Marshall, maybe – DJ. I was I thought Paul Scruggs to me is is probably like the best player who's not on here. I mean, Michael played in the NBA. Yeah, I, well, I had him on my list too. I would have I would have taken him before a couple of these guys. Another one who was really good was, would be Jeff Massey. Mm-hmm. Granted, he only played two years, but Jeff Massey made big. He was a bucket getter. Uh, yes. Also, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I don't know if he if he necessarily belongs in here. Um, I, I th- it's tough when you're talking about the bigs, like what order you'd put them in. I'd be interested to hear your guys' thoughts of how you'd slot them. But Torre Braggs is a guy who I don't mm-hmm. think gets talked nearly enough about. I mean, he was there for two years, and in both years he was like thirteen and eight, really solid. And he wasn't. Ju- he was like a muscle head. I mean, he looked just crazy. He looked like. Uh, the boss at the end of a video game level that you had to beat. Um, but he could pass a little bit. He played defense. I mean, he was a really well-rounded player that uh, I, and doesn't I get talked about. He got, he got a little bit of time in the NBA, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He played like uh, 20 games or something. I think he's with the Jazz yeah. for a little bit. Um, but that 98 team, I thought that team was actually pretty good. They lost that Washington team, uh, yeah. I think, a bucket in the first round that had uh, Todd McCullough on it. And, and yep. another seven footer off and the bench. Was a, that was that was a really disappointing loss because that team, you're right, Rick was 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 very good, and it was that was one of those games back in the day when uh, when you would be in school. <laughs> like I remember, like kind of listening to that on, on a Walkman, like an old Walkman with a radio in it, like between classes at Moeller, trying to keep an eye on uh, what was going on. So didn't they blow a late lead in that game? Yeah, I think they were up at halftime or they were up like or they got up right after the second half started and then kind of lost it late. It was uh just kind of one those uniquely early years for Xavier where in the A10 when they went outside the conference it just sometimes felt like their overall size and athleticism just did not match up and that was one of those games. And that was so, the year they okay. like ran the table. They just smacked people in the A10 tournament leading into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they had beaten Rhode Island in the final by like 15 points. And it was Katino like Tino Mobley and Tyson Wheeler. They were not really challenged in the A-10 tournament that year. You're right, Snow. Uh, and, and they seemed like they were on a roll. They were a six seed, I believe. And uh, it was definitely Either, an upset. It might have been seven because I feel like they were supposed to play South Carolina in the second round and Coppin State, who was the 15, won it or something like that. Yeah, I feel like there was a big upset in that bracket, which would have paved for a Sweet 16, which at this point sounds like nothing. But what would that have – that would have been – That would have been their second Sweet 16 yeah. after 1990. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were right. <laughs> Actually, Snow, you, this is pretty good. They lost to Washington. They were the 6-11 matchup in Washington, D.C. The other game was South Carolina versus Richmond. Richmond. And the Spiders won that game 62-61 over the third-seeded Gamecocks. Washington ended up losing to UConn in the uh, Sweet 16 yeah. on a tip-in. Yeah, Richard Hamilton had like a like fadeaway, like five-footer over McCullough to win it or something. Shout-out to Khaled Elamine. I don't know if Khaled was there at that time. Yeah, because he was a freshman when they won the title in, what, 99? Yeah, I think it was the next year. Yeah, and he had the big T-shirt. Look, well, he was a big man. Look, folks, we're not going to talk about anywhere near that era of UConn basketball and not talk about Khaled Elamine. Like, Rip Hamilton doesn't come up, and then we – I mean, that's just how it works. We talk about Khaled Elamine then. So let me, let, me, let me introduce a subject here because uh, one of the things that was interesting reading that is obviously what came to mind is uh, 
Snows, you were talking about the top five. Like, where would the greats of the previous generation of Xavier basketball have fit in? So I was thinking very specifically of, uh, first of all, obviously Byron Larkin, who scored, you know, almost 2,700 points in college. Uh, but guys like Stan Kimbrough, who was an NBA draft pick. Tyrone Hill played 15 years in the NBA, was an NBA all-star. Derek Strong had a long NBA career. Aaron Williams played in the NBA for a decade. Um, Brian Grant. Brian Grant, yeah. So you, you had, um, during that period, it seemed like Xavier always had a guy on their roster. Even when the team wasn't maybe spectacular, they always had a guy who seemed like he was at least on the fringes of being in the NBA at the time. So I'm curious where you guys might have put a few of those players if, uh, if they were thrown into the mix. Well, first, let's address the Byron Larkin situation. So he scored 2,000-whatever and whatever points. Hold on. The Fast and Furious 16 is filming outside uh, Snow's yeah, apartment. I don't know what's or his going house, on. apparently. Uh, so, like, 2,700 points or whatever. But how much of that was against Division One competition? Do we know? Like, they played, like, Ohio Dominican, like, four times under Skip – or under Pete Gillen every year. Like, Division One competition. For Larkin, he's probably down around like 1,880 points. <laughs> oh, here we go. So you, you got to take that with a grain of salt. You're picking a fight that no one else on this podcast wants. I'll be I honest. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I, 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 have nothing, I want nothing to do with this Byron Larkin feud that you're creating here. Feud? It's just, it's just kind of reality. Me and the late great Daddy Wags, Mark Wagner, one time in the media room, Daddy Wags said he would figure it out. And he was going to do it the next year. And unfortunately, RIP Daddy Wags, that never happened. Well, but, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a sign you should stop talking ill of Byron's playing days. I'm just saying, like, the man was a mid-range jump shooter. He just, he wasn't that good. You might take him in the fifth <laughs> oh round. Oh, my God. I feel like somewhere, like, like he's going to hear about this, and all of a sudden he's going to make that face that Michael Jordan kept making when, like, George Carl wouldn't light his cigar at a steakhouse or whatever. <laughs> or when LeBradford Smith said good game. To get back to reality here with your question, I think Tyrone Hill is the toughest one because you got to tell me, like, do I have to accept that he's college Tyrone Hill? Or do I get what I mean, Tyrone Hill became down the line? Because obviously his best basketball is well after. 2000, 1000? No, I'm, look, I mean, it's, it's good, but you're also playing at a much lower level than two, and he was really raw. If, he, if I get like Tyrone Hill at his peak in the NBA, then he's without a doubt top five on my board. If it's Tyrone Hill in college, well, he's. You know, Ty, Tyrone actually, I think you may be remembering him a little more harshly, Rick, because he averaged 16 and 11 as a college player. And that includes his freshman year. But he was extremely um, raw. I think that's right. But, uh, but I mean, 58% from the field. Again, uh, again. Okay, Dan, so do you have him in your sure. top five? Yes. Ooh, I, I, look, there's only two other guys in Xavier history who have had that kind of NBA career. Um. So yeah, I think I would. I think I think he'd be in that top five or six with the guys we referenced earlier. I think you would put Brian Grant above him, right? And David West. Yeah, and I mean, Jordan you... Crawford, and Trayvon Blewett. That's where it gets tough. Yeah, like, to I me, it's, to me, it's not even a question. If we're drafting for the best college basketball team, you're taking Trayvon Blewett over Tyrone Hill every time. That's not in question. But even a guy like uh, a guy like Derek Strong probably would have made it into your draft. I would assume. Oh, easily. Yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, that was a fifteen um, board a game guy. But Aaron Aaron Williams Dan would Kimbrough be there would for sure. Who did you say, Snow? Dan Kimbrough. Mm-hmm. I think you got to look at Jamie Gladden. Yo, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, are we going to include Ralph Lee? He's got that'll never be broken at the school. If you wanted to go back that far, you could talk about guys like like Ralph Lee, uh, who was a terrific point guard. Um, so yeah, I mean there were there were some guys. So here's here's a question. This kind of popped into my head when I was thinking about what we we're going to talk about tonight, which is 
So you think about that era, the, the Pete Gillen era, maybe the early years of Skip Prosser, and it seemed like Xavier had a reputation kind of as power forward you. You know, they produced Hill was a lottery pick. Snow said Grant was, a, I think, a lottery pick. Grant um, was the highest draftee. Uh, Derek Strong was drafted. Tory Braggs was drafted. I mean, there were there was a, a sequence of guys, and even even down to Posey, Kimbrough, et cetera. And and now it just and it always seemed like there were at least a couple Xavier players in the NBA. And it just it, it seems like now, you know, with David West retired, uh, it, it's weird. It, it doesn't seem like a, a school of Xavier's profile would have as little representation in the NBA as they've had over the last five to 10 years when you think about the success that the program has had in college basketball. Does that make, am I making sense? Or? I, I, th- I think part of that is everything has changed. First of all, the game has changed. Like all those guys you, like Xavier claimed to be power forward, you, every last one of them is a center now. Um, so that has changed. Then how you win in college basketball has changed. It used to be, did you have the most talent? Now it's, do you have the oldest guys who are talented? Um, Xavier has excelled with older guys who are kind of quote unquote 4A players as opposed to like NBA players who would have left after two years. Um, it's just kind of one of those things. It, it just the, the whole dynamic of college basketball is so much different. You, you don't, this Brian Grant at six nine and athletic, he's not going to be known by nobody and only right. recruited by Xavier now. Right. You can have Ohio State, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State recruiting them too. Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, it's just the reality. So I, I think part of that comes into play. You know, like Derek Strong, if it's a prop 48, like could they have gotten Derek Strong to prop 48? I don't think everyone could have gotten him in from the state of California. Uh, and that's no disparagement on Derek. It's just a reality of the situation. You know, like, James Posey, they got James Posey because they were one of the only schools who could take James Posey in some year academically. Yeah, it does seem like uh, the way that you win uh, in college basketball now, if you're not one of the traditional powers, is to basically do – oh, boy, I should cross myself before I say this. But but you, you build an old team of quality role players, and then you run into a lottery pick like a team last year did. I, I, that seems like the, uh, that seems, that seems to be as good a, uh, as good a formula as any, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the way to do it. You have to have one guy who can take over a game and then a bunch of really good players. Around. Yeah. I, I think Snow's point about everything changing though, is kind of the, the main point. I mean, again, the, the one about like diamonds in the rough, that goes kind of back to the Tyrone Hill point. Like now Tyrone Hill would have two trainers that he works with and, his game would have been more refined before he got to Xavier. Plus, everyone would have known about stay him for four years. Yeah, right. Yeah, it would have. Yeah. yeah, it would have. It never would have ended up the way it did in today's uh, climate. So um, it's just different all around. And I think that's you lose out on the chance to develop those sort of uh, diamond in the rough type guys now at a school like Xavier. All right, but other than that, Rick, I thought it was a. It was actually a lot of times. Uh, this is going to sound like a, a complice salt, but. Uh, a, a lot of times, art. Wait a minute. Uh, back up. A, a compliment that's also an insult. Um, a lot of times, those those sorts of stories. I'm just like, Ugh, this is obviously just content for the sake of content during a quarantine. But I actually found myself after like three or four paragraphs, like, okay, I'm really into this. So I appreciated you guys sharing that. Well, All right, uh, one person. One person we do have to discuss. Josh. Dun- Josh Duncan. Should he have been drafted? I think he should have. Um, I certainly had him on my board as a guy that would have gotten drafted in the way it kind of played out. Uh, the issue the issue became for me is I didn't think I needed another forward. Um, I could have gone – I could have been convinced he's my backup center in today's era. The problem was he just wasn't a great rebounder. He was just like, okay. So I would have taken Josh Duncan over Jalen Reynolds. I'm looking at the bigs in the last few rounds. Oh, without question. I, mean, that's- I would have taken Duncan over Tyreek probably. Uh, and I think, oh God, God, I'm going to get in trouble again. I think I probably would have taken Duncan over, over Weez. Yeah, I think, I think you take Ooh. him over, CJ. I'm taking Weez first round in case CJ's listening. Love you, Weez. 
What about Stain? What about Jason Love and Stainbrook? I mean, I think that's a that's a tough question there. Yeah, and they went consecutively, so it kind of speaks to that, I guess. I, I thought um, Brian Thornton was another guy who didn't get like no one talked about him at all when we were drafting. I would have had him higher up on my draft board. Like I would have had him above Tyreek Jones and um, and Jalen Reynolds. Yeah, but I think you know the injuries obviously robbed him of mm-hmm. of a lot of of what he had to offer. I know I was super excited when he transferred from Vanderbilt because he he had already he had established a pretty good reputation his freshman year there, um, and uh, but obviously you know at, as we saw with like an Isaiah Fillmore who wasn't as good as Thornton beforehand, but was obviously after he was injured. Um, Okay, guys, I need to pause this because the mouse is out. I'm going to try and catch it. <laughs> no, we're not going to pause this. Give what us a play-by-play. Give us a play-by-play. <laughs> what just transpired? I have the mouse under a pot, so I have to go get it and put it outside. I'll be back in a couple minutes. You've been listening live, too. This is great content right here. This is unbelievable. And one mouse nil. <laughs> okay. Now, to, because there's going to be no way to edit this that works or makes sense, I have no idea what we were saying. Dan, you're now going to have to give us the play-by-play of how you were able to capture that mouse. So the mouse made its appearance in the main room of our house earlier today uh, while I was at work because we're back at the office now. And uh, This is where Tina would have come in handy, by the way. Right. (laughs) My wife was shrieking. She sent me a picture of our kids who were standing on the island in our kitchen. (laughs) Despite my daughter, ostensibly her favorite animal is a mouse. Like the Chuck E. Cheese kind. Yep. Which seems odd. So about eight o'clock, so we didn't know where the mouse was. The mouse had disappeared. About eight o'clock, we were sitting in the main room. You've been in my house, Rick. You know how it sort of looks. Um, And the two cats, Pumpkin and Nico, had the mouse cornered. And Pumpkin picked the mouse up. And then for reasons known only to her, just let the mouse go. And the mouse went behind the couch. So, of course, my wife freaks out. Um, but I will say redemption arc for pumpkin because she chased the mouse into the bathroom on her first floor. And I was able to use a spaghetti, uh, pot to cover the mouse, slide a piece of paper under it and deposit the mouse on the front yard. All right. That all happened in the last two minutes. That was also a very, um, animal friendly way of getting the mouse back outside. So we appreciate you I wasn't gonna uh, doing bash that. bash its head its head in or anything. Like Look, that. some people use inhumane glue traps and all types of things. So we just appreciate uh, your humanity there, Dan. Uh, just an unbelievable it'll moment. It'll, it'll probably be back in the house in like an hour. I'm sure it's got Confederates inside the house waiting to let it back in. Out of all the dumb crap that's happened on this podcast, you just jumping out of a conversation immediately to say, I got to go catch this mouse. It's, it's up there. Speaking of rankings, it's up there. Okay, let's, okay. Put a bow, let's put a bow on this draft. Two things. No discussion of Muga Mark. Ooh, that's yeah. a good one. I think everyone's argument would just be that there's enough good guards on the list and he can sometimes detract from your winning as talented I, as he is. I think he is one of the most talented players that's ever come through Xavier. And I wonder how good he could have been if he was a different guy. And then one guy who was decidedly not snubbed because he did not deserve to be drafted. And I applaud all of you, Dante Jackson. I just feel that needs to be said. Yeah, we're really making a lot of friends on this podcast. Tyrone Hill, uh, Byron Larkin, Dante Jackson. Well, it's all snow doing this. Well, I guess you insulted Tyrone Hill, but I mean, he's not around that much. Yeah, I died on the Tyrone Hill. uh, Hill. That was was terrible. Um, The the, uh, current team has arrived on campus for the most part at this point. Um, Brian, what are they allowed to do right now in terms of team-oriented stuff with the coaches? 
of this second, I don't think they're allowed to do anything. Um, I, I think by the end of the week, at least in theory, two players at a time will be allowed in the gym in, let's just say, Cintas, one on each side of the court with basically a manager throwing them a basketball and rebounding for them. Um, that is allowed for one hour at a time. Then those two individuals will go to the weight room. And I would assume allowed with Jennings and or some other strength personnel to get a one hour lift in. It is to the point where I believe, and I've heard this at most schools, I can't recall specifically this way or not. You are allowed to walk in one door of CentOS and have to walk out another door of CentOS. So you can't even like go in and out the same door. They are not allowed on the players at least are not allowed on the fourth floor of the CentOS center. My understanding is no meetings, but they can get shots, get some voluntary work in for an hour a day with an hour of lifting as well. Well, one of the things that this, the situation has done um, and it started before the guys even got back to campus and now it's continued that they're in the city is unofficial gatherings, whether it be just workouts or what I'm kind of excited about is bringing back the old school competitive oh, no. open gym situation. Live action. Yeah. I mean, like, if that had kind of been done away with, teams would do a little run of open gym, but it was mostly like uh, it was quick and, and guys had already put in so much work during the day that they didn't really get into it. But from what I understand, some of the open runs since guys are getting back in town have been pretty good stuff, getting a little spirited. And uh, I think this could be a good thing in terms of preseason open gym stuff. Yeah, I think you're going to see Xavier and UC guys at the same places, you know, NKU guy, same places. I mean, there's only so many places these guys can go and they all know and talk to the same people. I think you could, there's going to be some pretty good open run in the city. That, that's for sure. Just in terms of anything you've heard since these guys have been back, uh, one thing that I know was thrown out there to me was that Nate Johnson and, and C.J. Wilcher have already gotten a little bit of a competitive rivalry going just from the few days that, that they've been going at it in some, some open runs. Have you heard any nuggets, Brian? I haven't heard a whole lot. I mean, I know there's a lot of excitement about how Fremantle looks. Um, Scrug pretty good but I haven't heard a whole ton uh, that would be noteworthy newsworthy or headline worthy the other thing I heard about CJ Wilcher is that he appears to be in really good shape which is a plus for his development because I think everyone thought a big part of his freshman year was going to be getting his body right and I think he came in maybe a little ahead of where they thought he would be at this point mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but that's a minus for all of us. Everyone loves a fat guy who can play. <laughs> no question. Ain't that, ain't that the truth? So, humanity kind of loses. Snacks. Snacks. Big Deli. Could they have gotten snacks another year of eligibility? Yeah, snacks. Does, he never runs out of eligibility. Like, I guess all of this makes sense to me. And I'm, I'm coming at this. I'm not, I'm not a doctor, nor am I Clay Travis. So I'm not an expert. Um, but like what, what ultimately is the plan once students start coming back on campus and all of this carefully managed, nobody in the same place for more than how, like, do they know, or is it just going to be seat of the pants when that starts? Because, you know, like I've been to Dana's since the, uh, since the plague started and we social, they are doing a fantastic job of socially distancing, but tell me it's going to look like that on a Friday, the first Friday night in September. Uh, I, don't know. Um, I would think the general plan is hope and pray. Once you get beyond the hope and pray portion of it, um, my guess is like anything, this all sounds good for the first month. And then after the first month, it's going to turn into do whatever the hell you want. We have no way to control it. We have no way to contain it. And we're just, you test positive early enough in the process where you get antibodies and don't miss a game. Right. I think that's the, the thing here, right, is there's no way they can control it anyways once, like, kids come back to campus. So it's all, well, this is all about right not now. getting I mean, sued. You guys are playing five-on-five open gym. Oh, of, of course. But I, I just mean, like, from a standpoint of even the, pro, the silly protocols that are in place, and I, I shouldn't say they're silly. I get they're just trying to keep people safe. But, like, but the actual effectiveness. Yeah, the, exactly. They're just trying Certainly, to avoid yeah. getting sued. 
But it's, but I mean, it's a balancing act, as you guys know, because obviously the lifeblood of a private university is going to be, especially like Xavier, which doesn't have $7 billion in the bank like Harvard does. Uh, it's student tuition, it's fees, it's things like that. So getting kids on campus is obviously critical for them. But by the same token, as the three of us obviously know, college campuses are essentially a germ frap or more specifically a series of germ fraps. I mean, the idea that there will not be massive outbreaks of COVID-19 in the fall is a pipe dream. And I just wonder what's going to happen if the, let's just throw out a a stupid hypothetical since that's what everybody's doing now. Let's say that the second week of December, the entire Kansas basketball team or six guys on the Kansas basketball team test positive for COVID-19. Do they just shut it down for two weeks? And if so, what happens to all the games that they have scheduled, which probably includes a holiday tournament, probably some big money ESPN type stuff? Do they send a bunch of walk-ons to play? I don't know. I think we're in uncharted territory in a lot of ways as we move into this basketball season. I vote they do it uh, like they do with the pep bands when everyone's on spring break or Christmas break. They just bring in some old fat people to play in their places. They just do that with the Ooh, basketball team. What about – what about recently retired Kansas alums from the NBA? No, they'd no, be too no. good. They would win. It's got to yeah. be old fat guys that would like should be playing the tuba during Christmas break. That's what I want to see take place. I want to see the spirit band of basketball. But Dan, here's what you got to realize: when people get back on campus, I'm told you can't get positive tests if you don't test. So maybe that's the plan. You know, Snow, you do hear it, and you're hearing it very strongly, and I hear more and more. <laughs> All right, let's switch gears here. Boy, Rick, um, you are so uncomfortable. That was the most uncomfortable <laughs> laugh I've ever heard. That, I, that wasn't even a laugh. That was a uh, – I think I was clearing my throat. I, I don't know what that was. Yeah. Um, recruiting. Let's talk about recruiting, guys. <laughs> Um, Brian, I think what a lot of people on the message board want to know at this point is, are the Musketeers moving closer towards securing their first commitment? Hold on. I think what most people on the message board want to know now is, is it time to panic? Yeah, it's always time to panic. We know that. Always time to panic. What can you say to that, though? I mean, like, it's so hard to figure out what's going on in terms of timelines with most of these guys. It seems like everyone's still up in the air and says, well, I either want to make visits or I want to wait till things get back to normal, what have you. What's your comment when people say, are, you know, are they getting closer to landing somebody? Will they land a commitment soon? Shrug emoji. I mean, like, I, I – this for like 14 years now i've never had a situation like this so i have no idea there's no precedent to go on um ultimately do i think they're moving do i think it's logical to think that certain kids are just getting tired of the recruiting process and are looking at it saying i can't visit for another two months this is absurd i'm just decide so that wouldn't shock me uh will one of those decisions be for xavier i don't know but, you know, they're they're moving along. They're in the top group with a whole bunch of kids. Now it's just a matter of can they get them on board, and, and Xavier's working towards that. Rick, you covered some of the names in your weekly Nuggets situation. So, you know, those would be names to watch, and, and we'll find out just how close Xavier is to getting one. But, I mean, it's just one of those situations you have no idea. But truly, when is it time to panic? I don't know. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, There's racial violence in the streets all over the country. Um, So you're saying July? What do you you think? July 15th? (laughs) No, one day it's just going to disappear, just like magic. All of it. No, (laughs) but I... Hornets disappear. (laughs) Yeah, they just turned out to be bumblebees. That was the caravan of 2020. It was actually Uh, cicadas. (laughs) No, they're coming next year. Just get ready for them. I don't know. I mean, Snow, obviously, this is an unprecedented, as every email you've gotten from a corporation has said, this is an unprecedented time. No, no. Uncertain times. Uncertain, unprecedented times. Uncertain and unprecedented. But we here at Cheese It are dedicated (laughs) to continuing to provide you with. Um, 
Thank God for that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to Cheez-Its. But, but, but like, what is the, do you see patterns of snow? Do you see patterns of like effective ways to recruit during this period under these circumstances? Or is it just, I think it's just, knows? Kind of, you know, try to get the relationship with the kid and convince him that he doesn't need to come to campus to come in. I, and I don't know that there's a great way to do that. And part of the problem is, is everyone's hearing something different. So it's like, you know, I know today there was some talk, not even talk, there was like a proposal of potential AAU being open in August and September. I'll believe that happens when I see it. It seems like a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, like, can you imagine like 84-year-old Jim Beheim sitting next to 83-year-old Coach K in a crowded, sweaty, nasty gym? Somebody's mom bellowing obscenities and spitting moisture all over both of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm a little skeptical on that. But you know, you you got some coaches saying, "Hey, you know, we're not going to be allowed out." You have you have kids, people in the kids' ear saying, "Oh, you'll be allowed to make visits in July, or you'll be allowed to make visits in August, or you know, it's going to be open for fall leagues and stuff." It's no one really kind of knows what the hell is going on and no one can prove anyone else wrong. So it's just been kind of a mess and it's hard to, it's hard to nail anything down in, in the, in the macro because everything is so individually oriented now. Yeah. And and that's kind of the, the thing I was wondering. I mean, I think it's more just going to be a, it depends on each individual situation, but do you get a sense at all for whether or not, things are going to stick to a fairly normal schedule in terms of players making commitments, or is this going to significant, significantly delay like the entire process for the whole class and everyone's going to be deciding in the middle of their, of their high school seasons or something? I do think at some point in time here soon, and I don't know what soon means. It might mean three weeks. It might mean two weeks. It might mean a month. might mean two months. The dam is going to break, and you're just going to see like half the free world make their decision. But in but I I just when that that dam is going to break, no one wants to be the first one yeah. to to pull the trigger, right? Yeah. Uh, who is the name or two? I mean, you mentioned on the Nuggets post. I've kind of talked about some of the top guys at each position. I had a post about a lot of the the top guys on the hot board last week. Who is the name or two that's not being talked about enough on the message board right now in the? 2021 class who we've done a poor job of communicating as is a serious target for Xavier this is your self-review Rick yeah yeah exactly uh I would say Gabe Dorsey I think that is someone Xavier is really really high can we can we snow can you give us a quick uh reminder about Gabe Dorsey where is he from cut me off I was about to do that (laughs) thank you uh you know this is a kid he's from he goes to the hill school I believe. Some, oh, okay. Well, that makes pre- sense. Some prestigious prep school in Philly, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. Um, he's like six foot five, six foot six, really good shooter, good defender, plays hard, you know, just an average athlete, not great off the dribble, but can really be a three and D guy. And, you know, he's an elite, he's a much better student than he is a basketball player. And he's a pretty good basketball player. Uh, so that tells you how good of a student he is. It's like, you got Harvard in the mix. His brother is going to be at Penn State. Xavier's in the mix. Um, you know, Tennessee's offered. You've Vanderbilt's offered. You know, Providence is offered. It's kind of schools like that. So it's kind of competition that Xavier typically does against on the recruiting trail. And uh, Xavier's put in a lot of work there. So I would say Gabe Dorsey is certainly one who, who probably doesn't have the buzz that he should have. I was also described in high school as being a better student than basketball player. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Everything's relative. Everything's relative. I, I uh, asked this because I, I think this is a kind of unique situation in the sense that Harvard could be a legitimate player in this recruitment. I think they might be one of the top three or four schools right now. Um, does it matter at all that they just took a commitment from Louis Lem- Lemon Lesmond over the weekend? Louis Lesmond. Yes. He's French. He's a French. Is it? Well, then it'd be Le Mans. Le Mans. Louis Le Mans. Okay, enough out of you two. Um, 
I'm not sure. I I don't think Harvard's in the business of turning down high major talent. So right, I'd imagine I they'd make room for him. But I wonder if for him it matters that like they kind of took a wing shooter if he doesn't care because he yeah. knows he's going to make it, enough might, to play at Harvard. You know, I'll say this for Gabe, like he's a really good student, but he views himself as a basketball player. So I do think while academics is going to play a role, this is a basketball decision. So the so Harvard I, of the Midwest might be good enough. So did I, but, but no one else agreed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brian, Monday marked the first day the staff could officially contact class of 2022 recruits directly. I posted a, a big list of names that the staff has talked to already. Can you give us a few names that fans should keep an eye on early right now? And make sure that you 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 clarify that a couple of these names are actually real names and not just things you're making up. Well, you know, but what's the fun of that? You got to keep people on their toes. Well, there's a couple names here that uh, I'm just saying, like Grady um, Dick. Obviously, that might be one. <laughs> In the city of Cincinnati, Paul McMillan, you know, he's someone who's been on the board forever. He's been to games. They're very familiar with him. That would be I, one. I think that's real. He's a real human. I can <laughs> confirm. That is his name. He's the fourth Paul McMillan, actually. Excellent. Uh, that, that's a heck of a run without a girl, by the way. Uh, Congrats on the generational sex. Yeah. Sean Phillips, a big guy from Dayton, certainly someone they, they like quite a bit. Um, let's see. Dylan Walker is a guard from Indianapolis who Travis really likes, who Brian Snow questions. But Travis really likes Leland Walker, a guard from Indianapolis. And then, you know, Derek Lively is a big guy from West Town. His grandfather had a cup of coffee at Xavier. That's not going to be a big factor in the recruitment. Uh, but he's he's a big guy with a lot of potential that Xavier's been involved with that is that is familiar with. That name is familiar to me. Did his dad play pro sports or anything? I don't know. Okay. Never is that an old man Lively's boy? No, it's the uh, it's the Lawrence Thunderbird principal. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brett, I thought you had an interesting point about the 2022 class and why it might be hard for Xavier to recruit that year. Um, could you sort of bring up that point here on the podcast as well? You mentioned on the message board earlier today. Yeah. You know, 2022, uh, if you think about it, Xavier had a really 19 class with the potential of two all league players in that class. Um, 2020 now has, when you add in um, uh, Deontay miles, you're looking at four players that the Xavier staff is very high on. So you've got, you know, seven guys, including Daniel Ramsey from classes that are all going to be upperclassmen, all returning, all with a lot of experience. Um, and then if you add in three or four guys in the 2021 class and it's the, you know, and it doesn't turn into what would it be the 2018 class where they missed on everybody or whatever class that was, mm-hmm. um, it, it, your 2021 class ends up the way they think it will, which is with three or four, you know, guys that they really like, all of a sudden you have 10 guys on the roster there or thereabouts who are all highly thought of players who are too deep at every position. If you're a 2022 kid, none of them are even leaving the next when you're a freshman. So it's like, where are you going to see playing? Right. It could be like a Kaiser Gates type class. Yeah, where you get one guy. And this is assuming Xavier doesn't even bring in a transfer and there's going to be 10 million transfers after this year for two reasons. One, there's going to be more coach firings than we've ever seen before since, as coaches put it, COVID-19 survivors in the coaching business this offseason. <laughs> a lot of this. Oh, and there's the other thing, too. And the transfer thing is going to be released without penalty. So you're going to see just all sorts of transfers. I was, met, I was about to mention a lot of uh, white coaches saying things that probably are very stupid when you... Yeah, you get that too. There, there, there's been an epidemic of that going around. Snow, can you tell me about Zocco Littleton, please? I cannot. Okay. <laughs> I'm told Zocco's good, though. All right. 
No, I mean him between him and uh, and uh, Grady Dick. Those are uh, that's my ideal class for this year. Out for two, obvious reasons, two different Deantes or Deantes. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that several. De- Could you imagine? You have two Deantes and a Deontay. Yeah, and a Dick on the court. <laughs> That'd be good. And here's what we know: Rick does not like. If guys have the same letter last name, it really throws them for a loop. So, <laughs> I sent Snow a snarky email the other day about uh, uh, a snarky text in reply about how they weren't going to be able to get a certain uh, recruit that they were after. And he was like, why? There's like two mid-majors after him except for Xavier. I was confusing him with DeMarco Dunn. So. <laughs> Fair enough. But he had a D in his last name. It was confusing. Mm. Um, but yeah, he had a D. People forget that. <laughs> All right, this letter isn't the entire last name. So the question I have for you guys is now: first of all, how was your summer? Terrible. It's <laughs> great. I uh, I got pretty into um, Long Island iced teas just this week. So well, I found is, a new drink. That is the most Kentucky thing I've ever heard. I've had a lot so, of zombie dust. I heard about that too, which is a delicious beer, but man, Muncie's finest. You don't want them coming for you. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it accomplishes the goal of intoxication in a short period of time. Well, I've been dodging uh, both Antifa and, uh, <laughs> well, mostly Antifa. You're not look out. Um, <laughs> But I will say that this summer has been, um, it's been interesting, right? It's been weird. Um, Times a day, does your wife threaten to divorce you? uh, She doesn't make threats. She just pushes files across desks at me. Um, No, it is, that is very strange, but it became more strange when I had to go back to the office and put on pants that actually have a button because that was weird, man. So I saw, I heard this on a podcast and I can't remember which one. I'm sorry. I can't credit this, but they brought up the difference between a hard pant and a soft pant. Dan, are you just working on your 15 minute routine right now or what's going on? (laughs) Maybe. I mean, Jesus Christ. Have you seen the economy, Rick? (laughs) In this economy? Well, look, you got to pay for that mansion and, uh, I'll look at it. Really. I don't know, but, but go on okay. with your hot, soft pants um, and hard pants. And so the difference is, if so you have to, right if you have to button the pant in the front and zip it up, that's a hard pant. But if the pant expands, that's a soft pant. So I was on soft pants for like four and a half straight months, and so <laughs> now I have to, I have to wrap myself into suit pants. It's absolutely intolerable. Dan, I don't think hard and soft is a good terminology to be using for each other's pants, to be quite honest. While I agree with you on that point, that was the nomenclature that was shared with me, so I'm sharing it with you. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with their premise. It's just when you say it out loud, it sounds a bit... Rick, I mean, you have, you've ambiguous. talked to Richard Skinner on your podcast about the fact that all you've worn is, uh, is uh, sweatpants and basketball shorts, right? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much exclusively basketball shorts at this point. I can't imagine what track pants Snow has <laughs> been sporting. Probably just the entire track suits from top to toe from, for the last six months. This is the roast portion of Dan's comedy routine. <laughs> I mean, just I for crushing some, you. Uh, some, uh, I got a Virginia shirt on right now. Uh, it's like a dry fit, not Go like who's. a tight dry fit. Some fat. But you need a dry fit because of all the exercise you're doing. Yeah, you want to wick the sweat away. <laughs> um, so I, and then a, a pair of basketball shorts. What um, what team? It Toledo Rockets. Nice today. Shout out to Brad Connerman, Rocketland. Um, but yeah, that's not really much different than like normal though for me. That's true. You guys, well, Rick does not, but Brian, you definitely have a different work 
uh, lifestyle. Than yeah, I don't, I don't go into an office. Um, but you, I threw on some jeans. Like when, it, you know, it was kind of like you winter until jeans? like. I refused to do that. I threw on some jeans. I had no problem with jeans. I didn't even know you had jeans. Are those a hard pant? Those are yes. hard pants. Hard, no, Very jeans are definitely hard, hard pants. Okay. Yeah. V hard. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I was fine with the jeans. I mean. All right. This seems to be dying on its ass. So I'll ask this last question uh, before <laughs> we finish this show. What is basketball going to look like? Um, first of all, how do you think the NBA's uh, Disneyland experience is going to go? And then what does college basketball look like in November or whenever we start it? Um, I think the, the NBA actually work out fairly well. I do. Um, sure, it isn't like a true bubble, but it's close enough to a bubble where it's going to be hard for it to get too crazy. I actually think it'll be entertaining. It's going to be like AAU Nationals. Like, you know, Do you the, think the other players will show up for the game since there's nowhere else they can go? Yeah, like literally, I think, I think it'll be like AAU. They'll be sitting in the Milk House stands like 10 feet apart wearing their flip-flops with their backpacks because I don't think they're allowed to be in locker rooms together. So, like, you know, it'll be like, uh, what, the Nets playing the Pacers, otherwise known as the New Jersey Players against Indy Heat with, like, um, Golden State, otherwise known as the Oakland Soldiers, like, sitting in the crowd just kind of watching in their sandals. Yeah, I, I, I think it's fantastic entertainment. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, because it, we see it. Um, yeah, that'll be a cool thing to see the, uh, the other dudes watching the, the games. I know he's not on a team right now, but they need to bring – Jared Sullinger's fat ass back on an honorary contract to make it truly feel it? like AAU so he what can about, just lay down on his stomach in a corner to stretch his back out because he's got lower back. What about DePaul, DePaul asshole uh, walk-on? Why would you bring him up? You know I hate that guy. And it's unpopular. I, People get I mad at like me. I feel like that was uncalled for, Dan. Yeah. Wh- what about Sandy like. Marchuch? That's, that's your guy. There's no room for smoking in the NBA uh, playoffs. <laughs> tell oh, that to Vladik Detox. I can assure you. <laughs> well, I'm talking about cigarettes at <laughs> halftimes of the games. Tell that to Vladik Divac. Vladik Divac. I have no idea how this <laughs> podcast got where it did. You've been listening to another edition of the Data Victory Podcast, only available on musketeerreport.com. For the legend, Brian Snow and Dan, I'm Rick. And to be clear, we're not going to sign you out with the normal zipper noise because of our friend Tino's passing. I think uh, the body body bag noise would probably be insensitive. Can you you put in the his yowls from that one episode? So I'm going to see you guys out with this. The first time we were introduced to Tino, set to Sarah McLaughlin's. Touched by an angel. Or in the arms of an angel. So there you go. Is there any is there any like under the radar dude that maybe wasn't that huge at Xavier that's kind of made oh, a name for themselves overseas? Jamel McLean. Yeah, that's Mel McLean. He is killing it right now. Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh oh, Dan's in trouble. Dan, what is he saying, Jalen Reynolds? Can I tell you something? Yeah. That's a cat. What? That's a cat. That's not your child? Oh, it is 1013. You'd be kind of a bad parent, I guess, if that was your child. Now, that's a cat. What the hell is that? I'm shocked. I'm legit shocked. I don't know what to tell you, but that is the that is the sound of a, of a moaning cat. Is it in heat? Are you rubbing no. it with your foot? No, it's, it's old. And it's fat, and it can't get up all the... You've seen my house, Rick. There are a lot of stairs. Uh, and it can't get up all the stairs, and it's hungry. And so it sits at the bottom of the stairs and, and howls like think, a dog. I think that cat could make a lot of a lot of money for you in the uh, adult cat film industry with that type of <laughs> sound. And, uh, I'll, have to call, I'll have to call Paul Ryan. <laughs> I mean... 
this has been a podcast of interruptions, truly. It is. It's really been the things from the outside that has made this podcast. Uh, but I think, I'm still baffled that was a cat. I, I'm sure. I'm, I can't get past that, honestly. I think we just need to end this. Um, Come through.